I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know, journalists, insiders, all of whom can break down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Listen now. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to Trial by Content, the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the coliseum of contentious opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base, will smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will decide the one true Trial by Content winner. Hello, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Neil Miller. And this week, it's time to pivot hard to television and talk about a superlative that no one wants attributed to them. We're peering into our personal TV histories and our ability to judge global and regional vocal specifics as we take on the worst accent in television history. But first, let's find out what vampire is biting us with the results from last week's poll. Joanna, who's our sire? I am pleased as punch to, uh, to recognize that the, that the wonderful Neil Miller has won for the first time with his pick oh. of Nadja from What We Do in the Shadows as his sire. That means each of us has won an mm-hmm. episode and a listener has won an episode. So it's all tied up right now if you're keeping score at home. I came in second place with Spike from Buffy Vampire Slayer, 28% of the vote. Our listener, Rachel, came in third with Eric Northman from True Blood with 17% of the vote. And Dave, I think... Tom Cruise got in the way of you winning with Lestat from Interview with a Vampire with 16% of the vote. So, yeah, it was either Tom Cruise or the killing of children that people mm, objected to. One or two. <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> or, or the frilly lace cuffs. I don't know. Something was going on. But anyway, before we get into accents, we want to talk about the thing that inspired us today. Carlos, will you hit us with a clip from the inspiration for this podcast? Sorry, I, I just found this phone in my flat and 
I'm just trying to figure out Whoa. whose it is. What is with this accent? What? What is happening right now? Sorry, who do you think I am? What's wrong with you, Mark? Who is this? Why did you call me Mark? Ah, oh, that is Oscar Isaac as uh, Stephen and or Mark uh, in Moon Knight, the Disney Plus Marvel TV series. Oscar Isaac's accent has been a subject of a lot of debate. Some people think it's very accurate. We're going to talk about all of that in a second. But this inspired the debate today. I want to shout out something else that that might help you uh, listeners get oriented to talk about deliciously bad accents. Historically, one of my favorite topics. My colleague Jody Walker uh, over on TheRinger.com, what a website, what a great website, wrote a fantastic article called The 21st Century Fake Accent Matrix. And she put four data points on the axis here. We've got accurate and artistic on the x-axis and seamless and distracting on the y-axis. So we're not going exactly by those rules, but those are things to talk about. Is it accurate? Can it be accurate and distracting anyway? Uh, yes, indeed. Well, we're going to talk about all of that. Let me start by asking, Neil, what was your first impression of Oscar Isaac's uh, accent of Moon Knight? Well, I think like a lot of people, I reacted to the initial trailer of him doing the Steven accent and was like, what is this? Why did Oscar Isaac do this? He is a good actor. He has been in stuff that I have enjoyed for almost his entire career. What in the name of Jared Leto is he doing with this <laughs> accent? And, uh, you know, so I was very worried. But I will say that the first two episodes so far have made me feel less skeptical, I believe, because it, it does seem like he put a lot of thought into it at, at, at the very least. But it, it's hard to say that this one is not at least a little bit distracting because of Oscar being an otherwise really great actor. Really great actor? Is he a great accent haver? Uh, our, <laughs> Arjuna just reminded us about his accent in, in X-Men Apocalypse, which was also sure. an inter interesting choice. He's taken some big swings, that's <laughs> for sure. He's a swinger. Uh, D Dave, what was your initial reaction? Yeah, I was pleased because I like a big swing, especially when it's going to be a centerpiece and Steven's our way into Moon Knight. Also, in terms of like Moon Knight history, Steven's supposed to be like the asshole Bruce Wayne version. So mm -hmm. I love this take on him uh, from the Disney Plus series. The thing, so we should talk about a couple things about this accent. Sometimes the thought counts, as Neil pointed out, and Oscar Isaac was definitely very intentional with his accent. He has cited comedians like Russell Kane and Russell Brand. The thing is, I have listened to those uh, comedians, Russell Brand for years, Russell Kane only recently. Uh, it's not quite what I'm hearing, but that's that's okay. The other question is, is this an intentionally dicey accent? And the question around that stems from the premise of Moon Knight. If you're not watching Moon Knight, I will just say that Moon Knight is a superhero in the comics who historically grapples with DID, dissociative identity disorder. And so Steven is another identity of a character named Mark who has an American accent, who sounds like Oscar Isaac usually sounds like. And so is Steven's accent dodgy because it is an invented accent invented by this American Mark? Dave, do you... How many thoughts or feelings about that? Um, uh, I think that's possible. Yeah, I, I mean, it's the exact same thing, but through a filter of somebody who doesn't understand because he didn't uh, grow up there or that personality didn't grow up there. So does it sound like what somebody would assume a British accent would sound like? Yeah, and does that work if one of your other personalities needs to create something? I could see that working. I don't 
think the show's going to go there, but whatever excuse you need to feel good about your accent, Oscar, I'm I'm going to back you. Neil, uh, does that work for you? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I also think that there's an element of, you know, from a performance production standpoint, wanting the two accents that he does to be very different, very divergent, so that we don't get confused when he's having these complex conversations between his personalities uh, or between anyone else who's ro- rolling around in inside uh, that character. So, you know, maybe there's like a little bit of extra emphasis on creating an accent that sounds like so disparate from Oscar Isaac's normal American accent. And I think that's fine. I mean, it, it does feel a little like Disney holding the hand of the audience, which is the thing that we don't super love about what Disney creates these days. But it also, you know, it's a tough thing to pull off a character is having multiple voices in their heads. And I think they do it effectively enough that the accent works, you know? I think the ho- the other aspect of it, and, and I should say, the accent works for me in context as well. I don't think it's super mm-hmm. distracting. But I think the way that he pitched his voice higher than it usually is is also contributing to that sort of what's going on here. Uh, just really mm-hmm. quickly, I mean, we're going to get into the debate in a second, but how are you guys liking the show? Are you are you Moon Knight fans, Dave? Are you are you uh, wrapping yourself in the in the bandages of Khonshu every Wednesday to watch Moon Knight? Yeah, I like it. Uh, it's especially because it's going to be a bit shorter than our other uh, Marvel TV series. I've been very thrilled with how much it's been allowed to be its own thing and how much it's allowed to be a character study of this very weird character. That if you were to ask me if it would ever be part of like the modern concept of like the MCU on Disney Plus, I would have said there would have been a dozen other more recognizable characters that would get MCU shows first. But that being said, I think that what they've uh, managed to produce here is unique within the spectrum of superhero content we've been getting from Disney and Marvel. Neil? I think I agree in that. One of the things I enjoy the most about it is that it, especially in just these first two episodes that we've seen, it doesn't feel like it has anything to do with the rest of the MCU. I'm sure it does. I'm sure that there's some executive who wants to just throw a Cumberbatch in there somewhere so that we recognize that this is a Marvel They're always trying to throw that Cumberbatch in there anywhere (laughs) they can. But I've enjoyed that they're just giving us this new character, building out a small piece of, of the MCU's world. I also have been a big fan of Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, who directed episode two, and I believe they directed episode four, as filmmakers, making really cool, independent films that are very cleverly and innovatively filmed. And we're getting a little bit of that in Moon Knight, where it feels like some actual filmmaking craft snuck by the story committee at Uh Marvel Studios. (laughs) And that is exciting to me personally uh i want to talk about that in a hot second but really quickly i want to shout out ethan hawk is not doing an accent in this show but i do want to say that i just saw a, a little movie called the northman uh a wild <laughs> ride that i hope you all go see ethan hawk is doing a strong accent in that movie nice. uh, and does it work no it doesn't look forward <laughs> to you hearing that but on that mention of like there isn't that strong connective tissue between moon knight and the rest of the mcu i want to float a fun theory spoiler free theory I don't know the answer to this question. This is a fun theory that I've heard that this is taking place on a different continuity, a different Earth. Somewhere else in the multiverse? 
yeah, because then the Thanos. Anyway, what are your what are your thoughts and feelings about that, Dave? You've got a face on. Oh yeah, I don't think that's true, but I I mean it's a great it's a fantastic theory, and this is the side effect of you know introducing a multiverse over a multi year story timeline, and then like your second piece of content dealing with it suddenly making two billion dollars globally, and now everybody thinks everything's a multiverse. I would very much look forward to this not touching the multiverse at all. Because I think that would go against what Neil and I just praised about it. But I'm, I'm not petty enough with my superhero opinions at the moment <laughs> to <laughs> dislike anybody for thinking that. I was going to say history would disagree with you. Neil. Yeah, I mean, I think the best news is that it's only a six episode sort of limited thing in that they can, if they want to, they could get away with doing six episodes that have nothing to do with the rest of the MCU. And maybe have like a little Easter egg here and there for the for the internet detectives, but I'm I'm hopeful. I don't know. I was very skeptical going into Moon Knight that I would even want to watch all of it because I'm getting very <laughs> tired these days of the Marvel stuff. But it's really exciting. I think we're getting some committed performances. You mentioned Ethan Hawke. Like I just Ethan Hawke is one of those actors that fully commits himself to whatever he is doing. And we're getting a lot of that in Moon Knight, and I, I enjoy it. Yeah, the fact that he went full Jared Leto and actually walked around with glass in his sandals for every single take is just really, really <laughs> showing through, I think. Um, all right, that's all I have to say about Moon Knight for now. Uh, you can hear all of my opinions on the Ringiverse if you want them. Neil, what are, what are the rules for our debate today? Ooh, well, we've got a fun one. As we said at the top, this week's topic is the worst accent in TV history. So this means that your choice for worst accent in TV history must be an actor attempting an accent that is not their natural accent, and they must appear on a television show that has aired somewhere in history. So it's very simple. We have a few awards to give out beforehand, as we always do. We're not giving out a category crown this week because this is not a debate about crowns. This <laughs> is all about clowns. And we do have a, a, a significant category clown for this one. And that is the entire subgenre of televised animation or cartoons. Because as you're probably thinking, if you're a cartoon lover, most, many, most of the beloved characters from your childhood, from the early Warner Brothers cartoons to South Park to the residents of Springfield, are often gross exaggerations of accents or uh, speech impediments. Although many of them, would be potential winners in this trial, we're going to sort of leave that entire mess off to the side. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll come back to it. We also, this week, wanted to do some pre-trial dismissals, which is a list of great honorable mentions and contenders that you will not hear mentioned as part of our debate. This is a huge list, so I'm going to go through it. We also have some fun clips, so this is going to be great. Uh, first, Julianne Moore and her Boston accent on 30 Rock. Just absolutely abysmal stuff. <laughs> uh, speaking of American accents that didn't go well, Jude Law's American accent in The Young Pope, and I believe he kept it up into The New Pope. Uh, every time Jude Law tries to do an American accent, you know it's going to go poorly. Also, third, one of my personal favorites, which is <laughs> Gabrielle Anwar's short-lived, I think it only lasted one episode, Irish accent as the character Fiona on the USA series Burn Notice. I love when a bad accent disappears. 
or yeah. like a, or whatever accent, like like how Scarlet Witch no longer speaks with her Sokovian accent. And they're yeah, just sort of like exactly. yada yada yada. Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. We're just gonna drop that one. It's fine. We also have, and this this was one of the listener submissions we got that we didn't choose, but it, it's it was a very impassioned plea from one of our Swedish listeners that we need to mention the Swedish chef from the Muppets, which is just garbled nonsense most of the time. As much as we love the Swedish chef. Next up, we have a clip for this one. This is a clip of Julia Garner's Russian slash German heiress accent as Anna Delvey in the recently released series Inventing Anna. Let's give this one a listen. What the fuck? Why are you sulking like a little baby? So you are Russian? Uh, I was born there. Who cares? Who the fuck are you? We really don't have time for this. What else are you lying about? Who the fuck are you? I do not have time for this. I do not have time for you. Incredible, incredible work. (laughs) Somewhere even Scarlett Johansson is like shaking her head at that one. (laughs) (laughs) But wait, there is more. There's uh, significantly more of our pretrial dismissals. Uh, Chris O'Dowd's American accent on the HBO series Girls is a very memorably terrible one. We also have Kathy Bates's Southern-ish slash Canadian-ish <laughs> accent as the bearded lady in American Horror Story Freak Show, the fourth season of that show. This next one is a double up, both from True Blood, both Louisiana-ish accents, both Anna Paquin and Stephen Moyer. And I can't believe we got all the way through last week's episode without anyone saying suke. I'm vampire. Suke. Suke, no. <laughs> uh, we have one from a little, f- little further back, Jennifer Coolidge, who did a very, very terrible faux British accent in the final season of Friends. And more recently, Nicole Kidman and her allegedly Russian accent in the series Nine Perfect Strangers. And finally, our final pretrial dismissal. We have another clip for this one. This is Bianca Lawson doing a Jamaican accent as Kendra on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Let's listen. I think it is funny now. That girl, the one I saw you with before. You stay away from her. I'm afraid you are not in a position to threaten. When I get out of here, I'll do more than threaten. Then I suggest you move quickly. Eastern exposure. The sun will be coming in a few hours. More than enough time for me to find a girlfriend. I mean, is it is it Jamaican or is it Irish? You decide. Right? I would say that uh, Jamaican accent, it, an early leader in the clubhouse for one of the more dangerous accents to attempt. If yes. you are not, oh yeah, a native person from Jamaica. There was at least two to win many wise in her version. Gal, gal. So there you have it. Those are our pretrial dismissals. We're very sorry to the internet and the people of Twitter who will undoubtedly tell us that these are the ones we missed. We at least mentioned them. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. 
When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Well, let's get into the actual trial by content then. We are going to do our opening remarks. We go in the order of people who won last week, which means... This week, Neil will start us off with one minute to give a unrebutted pitch, and then we get to play a clip. All right, friends, I am ready to start by giving you my choice for the worst accent in TV history. And it's one that I present with a heart filled to the brim with affection. It's an inconsistent mess at times, but one presented with great force by one of my all-time favorite actors on one of my all-time favorite shows. It's an accent that helped bring to life also one of my favorite fantasy literature characters of all time, and it was done in a way that I ultimately approve of. Because even though this debate is called worst accent in TV history, we can still make our choices with love. I present to the court this clip of Peter Dinklage's approximation of what the youngest son of Charles Dance's Tywin <laughs> Lannister would sound like as he attempts to navigate the dangerous political landscape of Westeros. Yes, it is Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones. Here's a clip. I wish I was the monster you think I am. I wish I had enough poison for the whole pack of you. I would gladly give my life to watch you all swallow it. The Marin. The Marin escort the prisoner back to his cell. I will not give my life for Joffrey's murder, and I know I'll get no justice here, so I will let the gods decide my fate. I demand a trial by combat. <laughs> it's the demand for me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, that was incredible. Okay, it's my turn. I'm not going to waste too much of your time here. Uh, Mine is also a, a Game of Thrones actor, but we are not doing Game of Thrones for him. He was ridiculed for his accent work on Game of Thrones, but that is at least closer to his native accent. I'm here to talk about Irish actor Aidan Gillen, who is Littlefinger, Lord Baelish, on Game of Thrones. But before that, he was quote unquote Baltimore mayor. <laughs> 
Tommy Carcetti from The Wire. This is a last minute switch for me. I had another uh, nominee here. And then I went to clip this accent for an honorable mention. And I just, it was too juicy and irresistible. I could not let it go. And I thought also it might be good for us to have someone try to do an American accent in the mix here, because that's the one we're best qualified to judge Mm -hmm. is what Americans definitely do not sound like. And they definitely do not sound like this. So if Carlos, if you would be so kind, please play us Tommy Carcetti in The Wire. But why? So I've been going out there for weeks slamming the governor for his neglect of the homeless and declaring how we will stop at nothing to find the person responsible for preying on the homeless and all the hey norman this is my ass here so what you're saying we call a press conference and we say hey by the way all that stuff about homeless people getting killed and the governor cutting the safety net and us doing everything in our power to catch the guy hey guess what that that the joke's on us i don't fucking believe this <laughs> he's got a real touchstone. Hi. Right, right. Whenever he's drifted out a little bit, he touches the stone. My ass here. <laughs> uh, okay, wow. Uh, all right, I got to follow that up. Here we go. <clears throat> the ABC series Lost had a lot of mysteries thrown about the first season, but the one that stuck with me all these years is how the tragic story of Martha Toomey and her tragic Australian by way of Cockney accent even happened. Appearing only in the episode numbers, this accent murders any sense of internal logic of how words are pronounced as we hear a monologue about a cursed series of numbers, a ridiculous carnival contest involving 4,815,162,342 beans, a car accident, a leg amputation, and her husband's suicide. The actress, Jane Taini, who is not Australian, was brought in as a day player and has gone on to voice character work as diverse as Legend of Korra and a recurring role on Ray Donovan. So I can only assume this accent and its harsh peaks on consonants and vowels alike was constructed on the fly and was as disposable as the cliche and bean-filled dialogue it hacked through. There are 121 hours of loss, a series that shot in Hawaii but took place globally, and this accent still leaps to the forefront of my mind as the worst of that series and all of television. Show them, Carlos. A couple of days later, we're at the fair in Calgary and some Wally there's got this jar. Must have been big as a pony. And it's filled to the rim with beans. Phil is offering 50 grand to anyone able to guess how many beans are in that jar. The answer was exact to the bean. Men had been running the same scheme for 40 years. Nobody'd ever come close. So we won the money. On the way home, a pickup truck blows a tire on the highway. It's us head on. That's where we're going to end that one. Although that's not the end of the story. <laughs> on the way home. <laughs> on the way home. Galbert. Just oh, swallow man. with the name because you can't you can't say it out loud. And Dave, what does it sound like when she finally says the number? Four billion beans. Four billion beans. <laughs> oh my god. She doesn't actually say the number, but the number that they pick, you know, is all the lost numbers, which comes out to four billion beans. Everything about the story is bad, but you don't even notice because the accent is going. I'm gonna start off our internal debate here. Joanna and I used to listen to this podcast called Harmontown by Dan Harmon, and uh, he, for a while, was trying to eke his way into doing an Australian accent with the phrase, I like that hat, mate. I like that hat, mate. (laughs) I like that hat, mate. It seems like all the uh, proof that my actress Jane did in order to just coast on being a bit player in lots of television and end up on this series as an Australian woman because there's some Cockney in there, there's some American uh, back in there, there's a lot of inconsistent uh, vowel and consonant sounds, and I might not have 
as much to work with as you guys do in terms of uh, breadth of content. But I don't, I don't think I need that much more than just this one monologue because it's also ridiculous. It's Carcetti talking about his ass, but condensed into a bullet. <laughs> Something I want to say about, about my choice. And you make great points, Dave. And we all know that the Four Billion Beans Lady is phenomenal. Just a legend. Specimen. <laughs> Amazing. But here's the thing about The Wire. You have a couple options when you are an actor on The Wire. You could try to do a Baltimore accent which is tough, or you could try to just do a flat American accent, uh, you know, and something I will say is there are a bunch of UK actors who were so good at their accents on the wire that a lot of people don't know they're not American. Like Idris Elba for a long time, people thought he was an American or Dominic West, McNulty, like people thought he was American, but there was no one who ever for a second thought that Aiden Gillen was American if they heard anything he ever said on The Wire. It's just incredible abuse of vowels in, in everything that he said. <laughs> I think that Joanna brings up a very important point. And Jane from Lost is a legend, of course. But I think that one of the elements that makes an accent sort of iconically bad is that there exists a lot of footage of it, <laughs> which in Peter Dinklage's case, is also true, uh, as it is true for Aidan Gillen in The Wire. And I also think that Dinklage is at a sort of disadvantage among the rest of the Game of Thrones cast, right? Because they're approximating with, with these Westerosi accents, um, you know, different versions of British and Irish and Scottish sort of um, geographically. And so you have all these wonderful actors, even in the Lannister family. You have Charles Dance, you have Lena Headey, uh, you have Nikolai, who's not even necessarily British, but he pulls it off a lot better. So I think that's one of the things that makes Peter Dinklage sort of stand out. I also like, you know, uh, to support my guy here, that it's hard for me to imagine anyone else ever playing Tyrion Lannister. So it's like a really iconic performance where I have completely forgiven the fact that at one point in season eight, his accent goes from British to very clearly Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's the problem with Dinklage, though, is that like it's not distracting enough that I can't focus on the performance. You know what I mean? There's sure. a couple things working against Dinklage here. And we all know how I feel about Dinklage's accent as Tyrion Lannister. But like, first of all. The Westerosi accent is not a real accent, so we can't mm -hmm. really nail it down. As you said, there's a bunch of different accents running through his family. Nikolai Kosterwaldo is uh, Danish, right? Uh, <laughs> right? So, <Yep. laughs> oh, so what are we even doing here? But the, I guess the difference between Nikolai's accent and Dinklage's accent is that Nikolai is doing a consistent accent, and Dinklage mm -hmm. is all over the map. But at, this, at the end of the day, I'm still here for Peter Dinklage's Tyrion Lannister. I can never concentrate when Tommy Carcetti is on the screen in The Wire. That's just that's just simply how I feel about it. I do feel like Tommy Carcetti is one that you get used to a little bit, but that may not be true for everyone. <laughs> I think uh, Neil Neil might be right because if there was one thing when I was showing people The Wire and trying to get them to tune in uh, before the fourth season, you had to get it on DVDs because that was the age. And you would tell people to have the subtitles on for the first couple of episodes because The Wire came really authentically accented and really fast in terms of how uh, quickly it unraveled plot. So by the time you get to Carcetti, maybe you're just like, 
that's what the subtitles say, and it's come something's coming out of his mouth. This seems fine enough to me. People just talk like this in Baltimore. This allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, he's allegedly saying words. I've heard tell that these are words in the English language strung together. Maybe sure. I do think one of the things that works against Carcetti is that the character itself is a little over the top. So the accent seems to sort of match the energy of the character. Dinklage's performance is very serious, very intense, and you know often very grounded performance you know so i think that that's one of the things that helps his performance overcome the bad accent oh well i mean i think dinklage does a better job at overcoming the bad accent but i don't think that necessarily helps you here neil because (laughs) he makes decisions that allow lines and phrases to sound of a piece from what i i don't remember this with carcetti but judging on the clip i just heard and definitely from all of my character, Martha Toomey's uh, thing, it's inconsistent from like phrase to phrase. I can't tell you why certain words are pronounced differently in the story of Four Billion Beans. Um, but <laughs> they were on I their way home. <laughs> they're on their way home. Bam! Head on! Yes, uh, I just sort of feel like maybe Peter Dinklage made it work and is can maybe throw a fantasy smokescreen over his choices in the vein of the Moon Knight loophole you're talking about with the DID and being like, yeah, I'm a man of the world of this fictional world and this fictional world has no real accents. So I'm choosing based on demanding things. You're saying Tyrion Lannister, because he's such a man of the world, has like the accent of all seven kingdoms. He's like only... Only uncultured men have the accent of just one <laughs> kingdom. I have peed off the wall. I've gone all the way up and I've peed off the wall in the north. I've got all the accents together yeah. in me. I mean, that doesn't sound like a Peter Dinklage <laughs> argument, but it does sound like a Tyrion Lannister <laughs> argument. So. He, he didn't get that entire accent at Costly Rock. <laughs> exactly. Costly Rock. <laughs> the, the thing I will say Ooh. about my choice and Neil's choice in our favor is that I have evidence that Peter Dinklage is bad at accents no matter where he goes. If you've seen Avengers Endgame, you know what we're talking about. And Mm -hmm. I have ample evidence that Aiden Gillen is pretty dicey at accents no matter where he goes. If you've watched, again, Game of Thrones, you know what we're talking about. I have no evidence that your actress, Dave, is bad at accents wherever she goes because I've heard her voice work elsewhere and it's been quite good. So Doesn't that make this more more puzzling? Doesn't, like, obviously, I mean, there's this whole tragic story of Jane Taini showing up and like getting paid the day rate to you know fly to Hawaii and get on a set that's supposed to look like Australia and telling this very tragic story that is so important to like the mythology they hadn't figured out yet that they've just they want it to be so important that it's just ridiculousness after ridiculousness and like I don't even know what sort of work reference you're supposed to do as a working actor as to how to pronounce things like the the beans and the the counting game and curses, and then she has her leg amputated and has to do a reveal with that. There's a lot of like obscenely whiplashy drama and plotting, so I don't blame her at all. But I do think that's what makes mine more juicy, because it was bad, and maybe Ooh. everybody just knew it was bad, and it wasn't like your guys's picks where it's just like maybe somebody told them, but it didn't get through the the brain to be clear we are saying this with love and respect to all of these actors because i don't know if you've heard our accents but they're definitely worse (laughs) (laughs) so we're not judging from any sort of high horse we're just judging based on the fact that other actors in the world 
have been known to do this without embarrassing themselves. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think mine is more pure because it's like, whoops, that was a mistake. But here, you know, move, moving on. Everybody gets to have a worst accent every once in a while. Yeah. It is interesting, though, that you brought up juiciness, because I think that's an important part of this debate. What gives a bad accent performance juice? In my mind, I think that it, it has to include, you know, a great actor taking a big swing. This, the bigger the swing, the better. You know, that, that seems to be working out well for Moon Knight. It did not work out well for Aiden Gillen and The Wire. Oh, come on. Think about him saying Hamsterdam really quick. <laughs> yeah, I also think that it, it matters that the show is taking a big swing. And I think this actually may work probably more in favor of Dave's choice than I would like it to. But if it's the more popular the show, and I think this is a good thing to keep in mind heading into when we talk about our listener choices uh, so that we can defeat them handily, is... The bigger the swing that the show is taking, the more expensive and uh, visible the show is. I actually think that adds significant weight to how bad the accent is and how worthy it is of being called the worst in TV history. I don't know how much the scales are supposed to tip either way, but you are right that your representative had like actual linguists on hand to do a made up Dothraki language. They did invi invent an entire language. Yes. <laughs> he won multiple Emmys <laughs> and he won multiple <laughs> Emmys. So I don't know if that puts like his commitment to it in the positive or negative column. I think it's positive because okay. Peter, Peter Dinklage rode that terrible accent <laughs> to incredible to success <laughs> commercially <laughs> and artistically. Something I want to say about non-Americans doing American accents. And this is something that I think you see most closely in like Heath Ledger and Brokeback Mountain. This is part of his, a great performance and honestly a great accent. But uh, if you've watched that performance, he, his mouth is super tight and small because that's something that like European, he's Australian, but like often Europeans or non-American non uh, actors do to get their voices out and hit their R's and stuff like that. And if you watch Aiden Gillen, I mean, we only, you only got to hear him, but if you watch him, having watched him for years on Thrones, you know what it's like when he's doing closer to his native Irish accent, what he looks like, to watch his like little face collapse on himself as he tries to say his R's correctly, it's it's just <laughs> bizarre. The non-American actors are always like, well, Clint Eastwood barely opened his mouth, and he's got a great <laughs> career, so I guess I could just do that one. Um, I agree. I also think that there's something, something that adds another level to a performance when it is delivered with great effort and intensity. Like the mm. clip I played of Tyrion Lannister comes from the speech at Tyrion's trial, which is him just. Oh, I know. <laughs> giving us like, you know, a million pounds per square inch of performance. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that the accent breaks sort of in and out through that is perfect to me. I mean, it's just, it's perfect television right there. I will give this to you guys. Both of your characters are on HBO Prestige series. They have a lot more of substance to dig into than how many beans were in a uh, you know contest at a carnival. I mean, what's <laughs> true about Lost though is that it like okay, the beans lady wins. We know that uh, in the context mm -hmm. of Lost. But what's also true is that uh, Lost is just an ocean of bad Australian accents, like on top of the beans lady. 
They were just yeah. hiring all these Hawaiians to play Australian, <laughs> and none of it was working out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's also, I think, a difference in how TV has evolved uh, since we went. Like, the rule that we use to squelch out cartoons is definitely more of like a of the era sort of argument you could make. Like, as, you know, things were developing in the 80s and 90s, it literally was just like, let people voice multiple things. It's cheaper that way which is maybe a gap that mine falls into, but apparently it's not just a cheap TV problem as, uh, you know, it just bleeds over into HBO as we see. Sure. TV, man. It's all, all of history. It seems like we pick some, some recency bias ones, uh, maybe. I know. We said all of history, and we've got a lot of recent ones. Uh, we do have some slightly more historical options in our listener offering. Should we listen to this? Yeah, that sounds like a great pivot to our listener debate. We have picked three of your submissions uh, that we will narrow down to one to take our fourth spot in our poll. Who wants to go first this week? I'll go. <laughs> Let's do it. This is one that maybe I would have chosen for myself had I not argued for a character from this show last week, but I, I was legally obliged to pick this from our listener, Sandra, who wrote in, Two reasons why David Boreanaz's attempt at an Irish accent in the flashback scenes of Buffy should win. First, the Irish accent is plain awful. Second, Angelus slash Angel lives in Europe from 1727 to 1902, a total of 175 years. He then lives in the U.S. for less than 100 years before Buffy. However, Angel has an American accent throughout both Buffy and Angel and in many of the flashbacks when he should still have a brogue. So in effect, not only is the original Irish accent of the early 1700s, horrendous. But the accent of a 250-year-old vampire with a generic American accent is technically even worse. Spike still has his English accent. Drusilla still has her Cockney accent. Consistency is a key in accent and TV show issue. And did I mention that the Irish accent is really, really bad? If you don't believe me, Carlos, will you play us this clip? What's a lady of your station doing alone in an alley with a reputation that this one has... Maybe she's lonely. In that case, I'd offer myself as escort to protect you from harm and to while away the dole hours. It's the dole hours to me. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Michael J. Fox school of Irish accents. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> It's Brad Pitt in the devil zone. It's incredible. The dole hours. <laughs> It's an accent that can only be created by someone who grew up in the era of the early Lucky Charms commercials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've heard it described by real born Irish people as that bad accent as diddly eye potatoes. <laughs> They're like, don't give me the diddly eye potatoes accent. <laughs> so that's Angel, aka Liam. His real name is Liam, uh, the Irishman. And like, I think the accent is so bad that it prevented Buffy from doing more flat, even more flashbacks after this. And also, don't get me started on his wig. So flashback Angel, Irish accent. Great submission from Sandra. All right, I'll go next. I've, I've got a good one because we've talked a little bit about actors from the United Kingdom coming over to the United States and trying to do some version of a regional dialect. So my listener choice comes from Jason P. He left us this very succinct email. He says, this will not be a long email. The correct answer is Jax from Sons of Anarchy. I won't even go into my reasons. Just watch the show. It's fucking insane. 
This clip that you're about to hear is Charlie Hunnam, who normally, previous to this, had a Cockney British accent. And this is him playing the leader of a biker gang in Oakland, California. Carlos, let's hit him with some jacks from Sons of Anarchy. I'm staring one of those decisions in the face and it looks back at me with historical eyes and it calls me a coward, a killer, a fraud. It wants me to crack and run from the service of my fate like a broken boy. Today I will not do that. Today I will be the man my father tried to be. I will make you proud. Now, Joanne, I have a quick question for you before we move on from this. Just give me a visceral flashback. (laughs) You are a person who is from this area of the Uh country, the central slash northern California. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you say it historically? (laughs) Um. (laughs) Charlie Hunnam, the the here's the most bonkers thing about Charlie Hunnam is that I don't know if this is true before Sons of Anarchy, but after Sons of Anarchy, it's like he never fully was able to shake what he was doing mm-hmm. for Jax. Because if you watch him play like King Arthur uh, or in Lost City of Z, like all these other things, Pacific Rim, you're like, it's all muddy now. Like he, he can't even go back after what he contorted yes. himself into. For Sons of Anarchy. It's a real it's a real conundrum. Yeah, this is an accent that was so bad it almost and may have completely broken the actor who tried it. <laughs> I forgot halfway through that what he was even trying for, like as I was listening to it. Charlie Hunnam is from the very British sounding Newcastle upon Tyne, or Newcastle if you prefer. And I'll just tell you this right now. Newcastle and Oakland. Never the twain <laughs> shall meet. <laughs> I'm going to pick uh, listener Larry F., who wrote in for Pavel Chekhov from Star Trek. Uh, He writes, he constantly butchers the accent, most notoriously substituting W for B, nuclear vessels. The Garden of Eden is a very nice place when the Russian accent does the opposite. Also, it's not an accent thing per se, but he talks about cities outside of Russia like Kiev and Minsk as if they're in Russia. Does Chekhov pine for the days of the Soviet Union? Fuck that shit. (laughs) Uh, Anti-Soviet Unionists aside, the accent is ridiculous. Play it, Carlos. Of course, Doctor. The Garden of Eden was just outside Moscow. A very nice place. It must have made Adam and Eve very sad to leave. Just outside Moscow, all right. Must have made Adam and Eve very sad to leave was (laughs) a phrase in that one. I believe it was Adam and Eve. (laughs) Yeah, why, do, why do all these Very accents sad. naturally trend to Ireland? Like, I feel like, like Jamaican, Russian, doesn't matter what you're doing. Eventually, you make it to Dublin. Like, that's where you all go. <laughs> Oh my god! It is very hard not to fall in the Irish hole this week uh, with our with our bad accents. Uh, so how do how do we want to go about this? I genuinely don't I, know how. Like, Jax is so in like. That was only a taste of Jack's, but I got to say, like, the whole thing is just an incredible, like, he just invented his own language, mm-hmm. essentially. That being said, we did say TV history, and I feel bad that, like, none of our shows are that old except for Pavel Chekhov on Star Trek. But so. maybe that's actually the oldness could work against it because, like, there is a part of Chekhov that is also mocking the Russians. Like, yes... He's the first Russian, uh, you know, on a 
television main cast Russian character at the time because we were in the middle of the Cold War. But he exists to not only have like a very standout-ish accent, but to have like a monkey's haircut and to constantly be bringing up Russia, Russian facts inaccurately, as Larry F. pointed out. So it's a bad accent, but it is exactly what the show wanted from it. Mm. Who's to say that future Russia, not unlike future Scotland, if Scotty's accent by Canadian <laughs> actor James Dewan is any uh, indication, who's to say future Russia doesn't sound like that? Do you know? Yeah, but you know, I guess that's true. This is one of the arguments that was made against my choice of a character from Westeros, a totally fictional place. But I would say that, you know, the universe in which Star Trek exists is just as fictional to us living in the 21st century as Westeros would be. I guess it's the difference between like you were talking about Joanna, there being a type of artistic intent that somehow makes the badness slightly more palatable on your, your, your X and Y graph. Right. And I feel like this is slightly in like, nobody cares that it's bad. So why wouldn't he just try to make it as like out there as possible? Which maybe is, uh, you know, attempting what it wants to do. And if it's attempting what it's supposed to do series wide, maybe it's not the worst. Sure. And also it's an accent that survived multiple actors. Yeah. Right. Because Anton Yelchin did a very similar version of this in the modern Star Trek. They didn't feel the need to go back and clean up Chekhov's dialect when they rebooted, when JJ rebooted Star Trek. And my memory is that Anton Yelchin's like is Russian. Like his parents are Russian. Mm-hmm. And so like he could have done a very accurate accent if he wanted to, but he did Wiktor Wiktor instead. So like yeah, it's true. Check off his mm-hmm. journal. Anyone have anything to say about good old David Boreanaz? <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that works against almost, I, I, maybe all three of our uh, listener choices is that in my mind, it really does need to be an actor who I would expect more from. <laughs> and I don't think that's true with David Boreanaz. <laughs> I've seen him on some TV shows. And that clip, while it's been a long time, I don't even know, necessarily know if I can recall that episode of Buffy, uh, but I was not surprised by what David Boreanaz is doing. I was kind of surprised by what Charlie Hunnam is doing in Sons of Anarchy, but he has gone on since then to prove that uh, maybe maybe I shouldn't have expected Again, so much. <laughs> I think it irrevocably broke Charlie Hunnam. Like, it really did, though, yeah. Forever. Because he was on, he was actually on Queer as Folk with Aiden Gillen, fellow fellow nominee here today, Charlie Adam, <laughs> and Aiden Gillen got their start there, and they had totally normal accents at the time. Very yeah, very he also time. had a pretty pretty normal accent in what was the Judd Apatow show that he was in? Oh, Undeclared, the, Undeclared, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Um, so he really did. He fell off after <laughs> uh, how many seasons did Sons of Anarchy run? Seven Tw- seasons? 20. I don't know. It felt like yeah. that. And I say this as someone who really does like Sons of Anarchy. I, I mean, watched Katie all Seagal, of Sons of Anarchy. My, my, my real dad, Papa Ron Perlman. At, at the end of Sons of Anarchy, Kurt Sutter said, What's runtime? Never heard of it. All my episodes are two hours long now. <laughs> and my wife, Katie Seagal, is going to sing in it. What are you going to do about it? Oh, and I have show. ruined Charlie Hunnam forever. <laughs> yeah. I think with much love 
to David Boreanaz as much as he deserves. I think it is a runoff between Charlie Hunnam and uh, the actor who plays Pavel Chekhov, whose Ooh. name I don't know. So then I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go for Jax from Sons of Anarchy because here's the thing I have never watched any of Sons of Anarchy and that listening to that clip for the first time just now broke my brain. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like I don't that's a oh Oakland did yeah. Neil say oh surely I'd forgotten what Neil just said technically he's it's a fake it's called charming California but then they mention mm-hmm. like real places around like Stockton. Alameda County mm-hmm. and stuff like that I mean so, yeah. either way just like completely wrong directions for the vowels to go inflection wise mm-hmm. in several places in that sentence and I'm just I I've never, yeah, I've never watched it. I had my hair blown back by that clip. So I, I love Chekhov and I love Star Trek and we should definitely talk about more Star Trek things in the future. But I think this one uh, has to go to Jack. I, I also like totally. the sort of very generous nature of in honor of Walter Koenig and Anton Yelchin, who both played Pavel Chekhov uh, in, in their memory, allowing them to not have to go through this. <laughs> <laughs> We'll keep uh, their names out of the ringer's <laughs> mouth this, this week. Jax Teller, crown prince of motorcycle gangs and also of bad accents. Here he comes. All right. So we have picked our fourth, which means it's time for final statements from your original three. All right, final statements. Just like opening statements, you only get one minute unrebutted, but we go in reverse order, which means I get to plunge you back to the over four billion Banes that I'm arguing for here that also includes a ridiculous plot, a out-of-character performance that may not have broken my actress like Sons of Anarchy broke Charlie Hunnam, but is a shining example of work that was done and done once and whatever the reaction we were going to have, we were going to have it for all time because it was the four billion beans, Martha Toomey character in season one of lost. Uh, You could feel free to go watch it. It's on Hulu right now. I don't have much more to say than I've already said. I feel like (laughs) my sound clip did my work for me, but the one added thing I will say, in addition to the Baltimore of it all is that this character's name is, Tommy Carcetti. So if anything, he should sound Italian, not <laughs> Irish. <laughs> the end. All right. That leaves it to me. And I would like to point out for all of our wonderful listeners who are about to go vote that in order to have a truly iconic bad accent, it must be a great actor taking a big swing. It requires full commitment. It, it requires a show that is a big, expensive swing on its own. And if you're really good, your performance can still overcome the bad accent. And if you take all of that, put it together, it leads us back to Peter Dinklage as Tyrion Lannister on the legendary Game of Thrones. I believe it's Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. (laughs) You got to draw the words out. rock. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we have Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones. Mayor Tommy Carcetti in The Wire, Martha Toomey in Lost, and Jax from Sons of Anarchy are our worst accents in television history. You could vote by finding our poll for the worst accent in TV history 
on the ringer.com, on at ringer on Twitter, and in the Spotify app where you find trial by content. You choose the winner and we'll announce it next week. Speaking of next week, Neil, what are we throwing into this accent sullied ring we've created? Well, we're going to turn around and go back to something a little bit more positive and celebratory, even though, like I said, mine was chosen with love this week. To honor the fact that The Ringer is having a week-long celebration of romantic comedies, we are going to name Cinema's Greatest Meet Cute. And we're going to restrict this only to movies. We're going to move from TV over to movies. So if you have an idea for what is Cinema's Greatest Meet Cute, we're talking about two characters meeting in a cute way, send your picks and a few sentences of support for your pick to trialbycontent at gmail.com. And as always, you can submit suggestions for future Trial by Content topics. Same email address. We anxiously await all of your wonderful topics and choices and can't wait to uh, get into it next week. Back to cinema next week, but after, of course, you vote. This episode was produced by Carlos Cherubosa. my papers on the ground whatever shall i do <laughs> what if we both bend for the pencil at the same time oh my god and our fingers touched oh no i didn't see you there what are you listening to the smiths <laughs> oh my god this is our third chance meeting of the afternoon what a heavenly way to die